Christmas has always been kind of a big deal in our Johnson household. Um, it's Marla's favorite um, holiday, so, um, so she loves to do it up. And, um, and so if you were to see the pictures of Christmas in our household over the years, you would see anything that was kind of pretty and classy in the house is because of Marla. And, um, and then you, if you zoomed away from the Christmas tree, you'd see like there's like a million presents under the tree because I go overboard, and I'm a very opportunistic gift giver. I don't think, oh, here's what's the best thing I could find to give this person. If I find something through the year that might be a good idea, I buy it, and then I hide it. So this last week, I was in my office, and I was, I was realizing, where might I have hidden things that I bought for people for Christmas that I don't remember anymore? <laughs> so, um, so here's a couple pictures of... Um, Christmas at the Johnsons. The first one's actually Marla when she was about your age on the left, a little hard to see, um, but that's when we were in seminary. And like I said, the, the pretty Christmas tree is all Marla. Um, the gifts are my fault. On the right are our, when we're in Panama, this is Christine and Sarah um, under, their, under their Christmas tree. And you kind of get these pictures all through. The next one is our three kids. So these are all still in, uh, in Panama from younger to getting a little older. And this is little Daniel on the right. Um, one of the things about Daniel is he's this little blonde kid, so he looked just like Christine in the pictures, so he would always confuse and think that the pictures of Christine were him. Um, so that's little Daniel. And then this is our family. So our, Christmas has become a big thing for the next generation, too. So it's my daughter Christine's favorite holiday. So on the, um, in the middle are Christine's kids with their Christmas tree that they put up last week. On the left is Mike, and that's Ellie laying down on the ground watching him string the lights. Um, and she's our newest grandchild. And on the right is, is our Christmas tree. I just got the lights put on on Friday, and it's not a competition or anything, but my lights are still better than any of my kids' lights. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that we did, also because of Marla, um, I think because of her kind of German-Swiss background, is we had a crash each Christmas. And um, the one we've used for decades is one that we bought in Otovalo, um, market in Ecuador. It's like a carved wood crash. And, um, and so we set that up the beginning of December, has kind of like a stable looking building. And then Mary and Joseph and the manger and the shepherds and the wise men. And, um, and what we would do though is we would, um, would set it up so the kids could play with it. And they would bring whatever they wanted to to play with it through the, um, the Christmas season. And so I think the next picture here is these are my two granddaughters playing with Christine's crash. And one of the things that happens here and also happened for our kids is other figurines would make their way into the story, okay? So Belle would show up, and for my son, Hulk Hogan would show up, and I don't know my Disney princesses well enough, so I don't know which ones these are, but the same thing's happening for their generation. And so what we would do to kind of, kind of heighten the, kind of the anticipation for Christmas is we would keep um, the baby Jesus out of the manger until Christmas Day. And so on Christmas Day, we'd gather around and put the baby Jesus in there. And then we, we had a present that was wrapped that we still have for like 20 years. It's the exact same present, really pretty gold paper with a red bow. And it is the symbolic present for Jesus. And so once we put Jesus in the manger, before we open anybody else's presents, we actually, from when our kids were little to we still do it now, is we sing happy birthday to Jesus on Christmas because it's his birthday more than it is about anything else. Um, and I don't know who it was one year. 
but I think it was my second daughter, Sarah, because she's the most smart-alecky one. But she figured out, you know, Jesus wasn't there, so the wise men and the camels shouldn't be there at the manger if Jesus wasn't there, because Jesus is supposed to get there first. So we got, we, started, we got up one time, we looked for, where's the wise men and the camels? And she put them in another room on a windowsill, and then through that Christmas, she moved them closer each day so that they would be there when Jesus showed up. So one Christmas, um, again in Panama, you know, I got up before the kids, and, um, and I went to find baby Jesus, so I'd have him ready to put in the manger when the kids woke up, and I lost him. <laughs> I couldn't figure out where we, he, he got wrapped up or something, I couldn't find, I lost baby Jesus. There was actually room in the inn and no baby Jesus to go into the inn, and so I, I thought about it, and I thought, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? So I, I searched for like 40 minutes, finally found it, and brought it, and the kids got up, and we had baby Jesus. I hadn't thought of that memory for like years and years and years, till two weeks ago, here at Cornerstone, we sang that song, Remembrance, and, um, and I'll, I'll read you the words in just a minute. But after we sang that song, I started thinking about it, and it actually reminded me of losing Jesus. Here's how the song goes. Um, I'll live my life in remembrance, hallelujah. Your promises I won't forget. If ever I lose my way, if ever I deny your grace, remind me of the price you paid, hallelujah. I'll live my life in remembrance. You have been so, so good to me. You've been so, so good to me. And this is the part that caused me to remember losing baby Jesus. Oh, to think where I would be if not for you. If not for you. And so over the last few weeks, because of that song, I've been kind of reflecting, where would I be without Jesus? How would my life be like? How would it be different without Jesus? What would our world be like if Jesus had never come? So this Advent, we are exploring promises of God fulfilled and ongoing in each of the messages. So last week, Pastor Danny talked about the promise that Jesus would reign forever over the darkness in our lives and the darkness in our world. And this morning, the promise that I am exploring with you is God's promise that he would be with his people. God continually promises that he will be with his people. Um, from the beginning of the Garden of Eden, um, when, when God had, had finished his creation and he said that it was good, he created mankind, and it was his crowning achievement. Of no other part of creation did God say, we will make this in our image. Yet he made man and woman in his image. And Genesis 3 gives us this picture that it seems that God kind of loved to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, we're told, in the cool of the morning. It was just part of God's experience to love Adam and Eve in the garden. And then you know what happens next is Adam and Eve, Eve rebel and sin, and they have a break, and they hide from God. And God goes to find them in the cool of the morning, and they are hiding. And there is a barrier that comes between a holy, loving God and his creation that is chosen to go its own way so that Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden. But before they are banished, we find out that God has already set into play a plan where he could restore his oneness with the human race. 
before they're even out of the garden, God says that, that there will be one who will come. And he will be with Adam and Eve and the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. He promises one day I will be with you, I will be your God, and you will be my people. So throughout the Old Testament, God promises that he is doing a work to restore our friendship with him. One theologian says comments like this. He says, in a sense, God with us is the story of Scripture in summary. The key covenant statement of relationship, I will be your God and you will be my people, is sometimes called the Emmanuel theme in covenant theology. From the fellowship with God that mankind enjoyed in Eden to the grace of the Lord Jesus with all God's people in Revelation 22:21, 21, the concept of God's search for his children and his dwelling with them is prominent throughout the Bible. Nowhere is it more, more explicitly stated than in Isaiah and in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, when he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then the child of the son of, of Isaiah 7:14 is equated with the child who would be born in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as Pastor Danny referred to last week, Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Then Matthew, when he is writing his gospel, quotes these verses about this search that God is on to be again with his people. And Matthew writes this in Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why does it matter to God so much that he be with us again? We're used to thinking theologically about the coming of Jesus, and, and very often we, and it's true, that, that God wants to be with us for our benefit, to heal us from our diseases, to forgive us from our sins, to take away the stain that is left on our souls. And that is true, but if we're not careful, the coming of God in Jesus can turn into some kind of transactional theological statement. 
And as a father, I think, whereas it is true that Jesus came to save us from our sins, absolutely, I think it's just as true that God wanted to be with his children because he loves us so, so much. It's not just transactional. It's also relational. As a father, when I am not around my kids, when I don't hear from them for a while, I just want to be with my children. And that's true with, with our, our friends, with our family, with our significant others. When you love somebody enough, you just want to be around them more. So when you were little kids, if your parents loved you well and protected you well, when you were little kids, you, when you were away from them, you would feel homesick and you would feel lonely. And I still feel homesick and lonely when I miss my dad and Marla misses her mom, who both passed away almost 20 years ago. And with your best friends, the more time you spend with someone and the more you love them, the more you want to be with them. And then someday you're going to get married and someday you're going to have kids. It multiplies with your kids because you, all of a sudden, these little tyrants are born into your life and they rule your life and you will die for them because you love them so, so much. And not just when they're kids. But I used to, I remember when I was a kid, I thought, oh, you're just a parent till the kids move away, and then you don't have to think about being a parent anymore. You are always a parent for the rest of your life, and you will always miss your children for the rest of your life. And just so you know, when you get to the grandkids, it goes on steroids once again. When we love somebody deeply and greatly, we want to be with them. I think that's as much behind God wanting to be with us as anything that would be for our benefits. Of course, that is for our benefit. But do you realize God loves you that much? The God who created you, and he didn't just kind of create just a mass of people. He created each and every one of you individually. We talk in the spiritual gifts class about how your essence preceded your existence from Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So before God made you, he had already thought of good works that you would accomplish. And then it came a time when he created you to do those good works. A God who that specifically has created you, this God loves you deeply. And one of the major motivations for wanting to be with you is because he loves you that much. So today I want to share with you two ways that God fulfills his promise to be with us. And then at the end, as a, the last part of the sermon, I want us to have an experience of God's presence. So first, two ways that God fulfills his promise to be with us. The first one is, through the Holy Spirit, God gives us Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, God gives us Jesus. Have you ever paid attention to the Holy Spirit at Christmas? I haven't. I've never thought about, yes, I mean, you preach about the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, you preach about it if you're doing Romans 8 or 1 Corinthians 2, um, or you're doing the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, and you talk about the Holy Spirit then, but whoever talks about the Holy Spirit at Christmas? And so I went back through. And twice, I read them to you, um, twice in Matthew's short account of the birth narrative, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And then when you get to Luke's longer account of the birth narrative, Seven times Luke talks about the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit in the birth of Jesus. So maybe we really should talk more about the Holy Spirit at Christmas. 
Um, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.20. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Pastor Danny read it last week, but we didn't focus on it. After Gabriel announced to Mary what was going to happen, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, is it just me or is that weird? I realize one of the reasons I probably never got around to think about the Holy Spirit at Christmas is that's one of the creepiest verses in the birth narratives. What, I mean, what's going on with the Holy Spirit and Mary, right? It sort of gives me the feeling of, you know, well, you know how when you think of your parents having sex, right? It's like, okay. And it's just weird. I had a friend once who, um, who had been to a Christmas service, he wasn't a Christian, and afterwards he said, uh, I wasn't a pastor, I was um, back in, in college, he said, do you Christians really believe that nonsense about the virgin birth? And I said, yeah, we actually, we do. It's bizarre, okay? It's also impossible. It's like the worst experience for being, worst excuse for being pregnant before you get married, right? Nobody could come up with a worse experience than that. It's bizarre and it's impossible, which is why the angel Gabriel says right away to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. We believe in a God who created the universe out of nothing. We believe in a God who created the human race as the pinnacle of his creation and entrusted to the human race the stewardship of the rest of his creation. We believe in a God who, when men rebelled, set a plan in place to restore his love or, or their love or their, the relationship that he would have with them. We believe in a God who was willing to take on flesh. He wanted to be with us so much that he became a man in Jesus and he dwelled with us. We believe in a God who died on the cross to pay for our sins that we might be forgiven. We believe in a God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when we believe in that kind of a God, the virgin birth doesn't become an obstacle to our faith. It becomes a tenet of our faith. When we believe in a God like that, then we cannot imagine that the birth of his son would not be miraculous. We have a God who can change the fabric of the world and make what is impossible possible. And we believe in a God who gives his Holy Spirit through his Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit shows up, things that we think are impossible become possible. So my question for you on this point is this. What good thing or good things in your life do you think are just too impossible for God to accomplish for you or in you? What good things you just think are out of reach? 
Maybe you think that, that as much as you want to, you're just, you're just a failure. You're not able to please God. The Holy Spirit can enable you, can transform you to please God. Maybe you think that, that um, you, just, you just, God can't find the right spouse for you, or he can't find the right calling for you, or the right job for you. You have a God for whom nothing good is impossible. So before we end today, I'm going to ask you to think of where you want the power of God in your life right now. Advent proves that God loves you and values you and has the power to do miracles in your life. So John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation reminds us that nothing is impossible for God. So God first fulfilled his promise to be with us by giving us Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The second way that God fulfills his promise to be with us is he then gives us the Holy Spirit through Jesus. It fascinates us, fascinates me. First he gives us Jesus through the Spirit. Then he gives us the Spirit through Jesus. Listen to how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7. If a person is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. By this, John tells us, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. When the Holy Spirit of God is within you, life-giving force, life-giving strength rises up from within you to fuel your life and to bring life to others. Most of us are used to thinking that if we want to be more fully alive, we've got to look outside and find some way to get more fully alive. But when the Spirit of God is within you, that life is engendered from within you by the Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. You see, God isn't content just to be with us. God desires to be in us. John chapter 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We're used to thinking that the best thing in the world for us is Jesus. Jesus tells us here, the best thing in the world for us is the Holy Spirit, who will be within us. And in Acts chapter 6, Jesus told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When we attend to the Holy Spirit of God within us, there is a power that is given to live out the mission that God has for our lives. And then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he preached, and he said, whoever will repent and be baptized, they will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit descends on the followers of Jesus. And the New Testament age begins, wherein every person afterwards 
who confesses Jesus Christ is given the Holy Spirit to be within them. God has fulfilled his promise to be with us by giving the Spirit to us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there is no way to underestimate what that means. The Spirit of the living God is in you. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're told that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Romans 8, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Never have we known in the history of the human race, there have been lots of people who wanted to be treated like God, but never have we known the history of the human race, a God who wanted to be so close that he would dwell within his people. The consequences of this are incredible. You realize that it means that you are a temple of God because God actually dwells within you. And to deal with your stress and your worries and your anxieties, the Holy Spirit within you pours hope into your life and into your soul. We're told that in the scriptures that no one can know the mind of another person except for the spirit of that person, and no one can know the mind of God except for the spirit of God, but God has given us his spirit so that if we ask, the spirit will reveal to us the mind and thoughts and will of God, and all we have to do is ask because his spirit is within us. God is not somewhere out there that we have to go find him. God is within us because of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the, inter the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And you realize that when the Holy Spirit came into your life, as, as soon as you confessed and asked Jesus to be the leader of your life, the Holy Spirit came into your life, God moved there to dwell within you, and when he came, he brought you unique, divine, special abilities called spiritual gifts that make you competent and can make you passionate about what you want to accomplish in the world. Every one of you has some aspect of the heart or mind or character of God distributed to you as the Spirit wanted to distribute it as your spiritual gifts. And then, not only do we have the gifts of the Spirit, but because the Spirit of God is within us, we can partner with the Spirit of God to nurture and develop the fruit of the Spirit. We don't need to just look better on the outside we need to be transformed from the inside out. Because the Spirit of God dwells within you, the fruit of the Spirit can be developed so that you can become a person of greater love and greater peace. You can come, become a person that joy comes up out of you. Patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, 
and self-control. Because the Spirit of God is in you, you can be transformed from the inside out. Here's an interesting thing, though, about the Spirit of God dwelling in you. By virtue of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God, okay? If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. That goes with that. I mean, that's clearly stated in the Scriptures. But here's the interesting thing. To the extent that you ignore or disregard or get distracted from the reality that the Spirit of the living God lives in you, to that extent, you will not know the joy and the peace and the power and presence of God. So it's not, the Holy Spirit's in you no matter what. But to the extent that you attend to the Spirit, you will receive the blessings and the power of the Spirit. So the scriptures use lots of terms. It says, sow to the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Think of the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. As you listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your soul, and as you act on those promptings, then there is a fuller and fuller presence of the Spirit that can come into your life. And you all know that it's, it's the case because there have been times in your life, and you've seen in other people's lives, there are times in your life where you know you are spiritually dull and dead. And the Spirit, the, the life of the Spirit isn't flowing within you. And then there are times in your life where you are so excited and thrilled to be in the presence of God, and you see new horizons, and God, God does new things through you. And what changes that is how you respond to the Spirit. The Spirit is there no matter what. But if you will attend to the things of the Spirit, if you will listen to the Spirit of God, then God's presence and power will flow through you in ways that you probably have not yet imagined. Which is why I want to take some time here now as we close this message. I'd like to give some space for you to have an experience of the Holy Spirit. If you are not yet a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit within you because the Spirit comes to you when you ask Christ to come to you. So God is still outside of you, but you can still talk to God because God says that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then just talk to God and tell him what's going on in your life. Um, if you want to, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you want this life of God to be in you, then you can simply talk to God and ask for him to forgive you for your sins and ask for Jesus to become the leader of your life so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you, though, are not a believer and you're nowhere ready for that, then just in the next few moments, just be still and be with God. Just share whatever you want to with God because he will listen. If you are a Christian, then I just want to have you slow down. So let's have everybody close your eyes. And let's start with taking a couple of deep breaths. Some of you are facing finals this week. Some of you have work pressures or relationship stresses. And we all know the pace of life can be crazy at Christmas. So take a moment and slow down and just take a few deep breaths and reflect on the truth that God loves you so much that he's decided he wants to be in you.
And now, um, share with the Holy Spirit whatever's on your heart and mind. Whatever you want to share with the Spirit of the living God within you, just share that now. There's nothing you can tell the spirit that he doesn't already know. But he invites us to share it anyway. And next... Where in your life right now do you want or need the Holy Spirit? And the sky's the limit. What do you most need or desire from the Holy Spirit today or maybe through this Christmas season? Remember, nothing is impossible with God. And remember that the power of God is in his spirit. Where do you want his power in your life? We're almost done now, but take the next minute or so and try to listen to the Holy Spirit within you. What does the Holy Spirit want to say to you? And the voice will not sound like your voice. It won't sound like your mother's voice or your father's voice. It'll sound like the voice of Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit what he'd like to say to you right now.
and finally here. If you're willing, ask for the Spirit to increase within you. Ask for a greater fullness of the Spirit in your life. Father in heaven, thank you for your promise that you love us so much that you ache to be with us. Thank you for your promise that you would make a way not to just be with us, but to be within us. Thank you that you are a God who always fulfills your promises. Thank you that you are a God for whom nothing is impossible. Thank you for giving us Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Would you fill us? Would you give us a life that is beyond just our human energy? A life that is life giving to all around us because of the fullness of your spirit. Teach us how to walk in step with your spirit. Teach us how to hunger enough for you that we ask for more of your spirit to be within us. That we might individually be transformed with great power and great glory so that in our relationships with one another, together we are being transformed. And so that as a, a church at Cornerstone, that we know what it is to live in the power of God as we join in the mission of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.